First Baptist Church, it is a joy to be with you. Uh, a regular question around our house every week between Tammy and I is, where are we going to church on Sunday? Um, because it does vary. We move around quite a bit, and especially in this season of sickness and uh, the fall and the holidays, we have uh, been in various places. And for the first time, I had been able to put on my calendar for this Sunday, worship at First Baptist Church. And about 7 o'clock this morning, it changed to preach at First Baptist Church, <laughs> which I was honored to be able to say yes to Matt's request and come uh, to his rescue uh, this morning. There's nothing uh, more disheartening to a preacher than to wake up on Sunday morning sick, not just a preacher, but a minister, because our hearts have been preparing all week for Sunday. We uh, prepare and we pray and God speaks and gives us a message and uh, when we wake up on Sundays and we're sick it is greatly greatly disappointing and so we do want to pray for our, uh, for brother Matt to recover quickly uh, from uh, this uh, bug that he has and uh, be restored uh, fully to uh, good health so in order to help us out this morning to soften the shock I decided not to shave this morning and I thought if you could just get beyond the fact that I look like I just returned from Sinai with the tablets and lost some of my hair while I was there, uh, that we might have some re uh, remembrance of Matt uh, standing here this morning. Someone said uh, before the service said, you're not going to preach one of those stale sermons you've got stored away. I said, well, it will be as fresh as three hours allows it to be. And so this morning, I want to invite you to join me in Acts chapter 12 today. Acts chapter 12, as we look at a message entitled, Nothing Can Stop the Gospel. As I thought about uh, the assignment this morning, I, I was drawn to this text. It's, it's a text that is a very powerful text, but... I thought in these days in which we live, perhaps it would be refreshing to us to be reminded that no matter what we encounter, no matter what comes our way, uh, that nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to stop the gospel. And so as we read this text, I'll invite you to stand with me this morning as we honor the text. We'll be reading Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. Now about that time, Herod the king laid, on, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, 
Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the, into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And from all that the Jewish people were expecting, And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Father, what a powerful text. What a story of The fact that no matter what people may do, no matter how hard they may try, no matter how difficult the oppression may be, that there is nothing that is going to stop your gospel from going forth. And help us to realize that and see that very clearly today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The church had suffered relatively little persecution since the persecution that had followed Stephen's death. But here in chapter 12, we read about a new wave of persecution that was developing. As a result of the last persecution, the Christians were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and carried the gospel with them to those areas. But now there was a new persecution and the church would begin to expand again. This time by the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas that that come later in Acts chapter 13. However intently the church is persecuted, folks, I want you to hear me this morning. No matter how intense the persecution may be, the the result is always the extension of the faith in new areas. Every time that the pressure comes upon the church, the church spreads and grows and takes the gospel. For years, many have tried to stamp out the fire of the gospel, the fire. They tried to stamp it out in Jerusalem. They tried to stamp it out all throughout the book of Acts. But every time they stomped on the fire of the gospel, the embers spread. The ashes spread and the fire would 
pop up somewhere else. And this is going to be no exception in our day and in our time, no matter how difficult it may be, the gospel is not going to be silenced. It is not going to be stopped. It is not going to be hindered. People will continually hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what we see unfolding before us here. In this chapter, there starts out with a, it starts out with a crisis in the city. Acts chapter 12 and verse 1 begins with about that time, Herod Agrippa began a policy of persecution directed at Christians in the community. He had James put to death by the sword, and then he went out and immediately arrested Peter and put him in prison. The motivation for him doing this was not some criminal activity that they had done, but Herod did it so that he could impress the Jews. Perhaps he was losing favor with this group of people and he needed to win them back. And so he said, what I think I will do is I will persecute the Christians. I will kill James and I will put Peter in prison and surely this will help me gain favor with the Jews. And the increased hostility toward Christians on the part of Jews made Herod's dictatorial rule more acceptable in their eyes. They didn't like the way Herod was ruling. They didn't like the things that he was doing and perhaps demanding of them. So he said, I know how to stop that. I'll turn their attention to the church. I'll turn their attention to Christians. And I'll take a couple of those leaders out, remove them from the scene, and then we'll be able to have a more friendly relationship with one another. The growth of the Christians, the growth of Jesus' followers who are now called Christians signaled a turbulent period ahead. A short and sharp shock was needed to end this movement once and for all. That was the goal. We're going to finally, we're going to finally stop the gospel. We're going to finally stop the spread of the church. We're going to finally silence these apostles who are increasingly preaching the news of Jesus Christ. We're going to stop them and I'm going to kill one and I'm going to imprison the other and surely they will listen and pay pay attention. And the amazing thing is, is that the shock that Herod Agrippa decided to use had been done by his, the same shock had been used by his ancestors. Just as his uncle had killed John the Baptist and his grandfather had massacred the innocent children in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth, Herod Agrippa engaged in a similar act of unprovoked brutality. So two of the leading disciples, James and Peter, were singled out James was killed with the sword, beheaded, and Peter was imprisoned awaiting a similar fate once the days of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread had passed over. I want you to imagine with me, you're in the early band of followers of Christ, you're in the early church, and you've seen many things that have happened, you've seen many attempts at the oppression of the church and the silencing of the gospel, but... This one had to get your attention. The death of James 
must have come as a massive shock to the band of disciples. James and his brother John, the sons of Zebedee, were heirs to a successful fishing business in Galilee, a business sufficiently lucrative to employ hired servants. John was known to the high priest, which added further support to the family status in the community. As the elder brother, James, had engaged in the unseemly debate with John as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Do you remember that argument in the presence of Jesus? Which one shall be the great? Which one shall sit on the right and the left? This is the James that is arguing for his position that he believed that he rightfully had coming to him in the kingdom of Christ. He had been with the inner three, along with John and Peter, permitted to go with Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. The same group had witnessed Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus had urged the same trio to pray with him in Gethsemane and alone with his brother James had gained his brother John had gained the nickname Boanerges, the Sons of Thunder, a description that seemed most appropriate when the two suggested that Jesus send down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans who had rejected the message of Jesus Christ. This is the James who had just been beheaded. James, the close inner circle follower of Christ, has suddenly and brutally been taken away from the church. Surely, this will get their attention. Surely, surely, this will make them be quiet. Surely, this will extinguish the flame. And if I put Peter in prison, that maybe, perhaps Herod's even thinking, maybe I won't even have to kill him. I've got the days of unleavened bread to let things kind of calm down before I have to do I have to do something else James the guy the guy who longed for the crown of glory when Christ came into his own instead of being given a crown of glory is given the cup of suffering and his life is taken the death of James the only death that is recorded of an apostle in the scripture is written for us right here in Acts chapter 12. It pains us to read it because James was in the prime of life, probably, probably just in his 30s. So much potential and so much opportunity lay ahead of him. But now, alas, it's gone. James is gone. James that we had looked to. James that we had admired. James perhaps the guy that we had been jealous of because of his incredible close relationship with the Savior. He's gone. And Luke doesn't mince any words. He just says he was, the sword was taken, taken to him. And it reminds us that God wants us to be obedient to him no matter the cost. God wants us to be obedient to him no matter what the cost. Jesus has called us to a life of discipleship, one that has as its emblem an instrument of execution, one that, that may very well cost us our lives. That's why, 
That's why as the church we must rise up. It's why we as followers of Christ must stand our ground. It is why we must rise up in these days and be the church. The world needs the church now more than ever. The world needed the church in these days as those wicked men like the Herods who tried to extinguish the, the, the spread of the gospel, who tried to extinguish Then There are those who are saying, you know what? We'll never make it. We'll never come out of this. Let me tell you something, folks. We will come out of this. We will keep preaching the gospel. We will keep proclaiming Jesus Christ. Belief that God is in control is a must. And we will continue to follow God no matter what. The death of James, as tragic as it was, fulfilled a part of God's divine purpose. Even if that purpose is not wholly apparent to us, even if these days in which we live, we struggle with seeing the purpose of what we are having to endure, we know that God's hand is in control. And no doubt his death, the death of James, galvanized the disciples to boldness no matter what happens. There's no indication that they cowered down. There's no indication that they retreated. There's no indication that the gospel stopped being preached. Did they stop to mourn the death of James? Most certainly they did. Were their hearts broken? Absolutely. And are there events in which you and I need to apply this truth to our lives that we are to be obedient to God no matter what? Even if these events in our humanity, in our frailness, in our feebleness could otherwise cause us to be bitter and resentful, and even angry? The answer is yes. It's a resounding yes. We cannot become victims of bitterness. We cannot let anger win the day. We cannot allow resentfulness to rule our spirits. No matter what the event may be, God has planned and executed it perfectly. God does not make mistakes. There are no errors in the unfolding purposes of God. And we must trust him. Crisis in the city. James is gone. Peter has been thrust into prison. So what do they do? Well, they call a prayer meeting. They call a prayer meeting in the upper room. And that's the second thing that follows here. That there are times when it is necessary to have a special prayer meeting. Just as Luke has made it known from the beginning of this book, prayer held a prominent role in the day-to-day and week-to-week life of the church. So also prayer becomes vital in moments of crisis. The fact that one of the key apostles has been beheaded and another one is awaiting execution in a high security prison is cause enough for the church to hold a prayer meeting. Can I share with you folks, it is time for the church to pray. It's time for the church to cry out to God. It is time for us to beseech our Lord and Savior in these days. The crisis is great. The crisis is heavy, and we need our Lord's help. Times of crisis are times to call upon the Lord and ask for his intervention. The psalmist 
did this kind of praying quite often. Psalm 4 verse 1. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 8 and verse 6. In my distress I called to the Lord. Psalm 120 and verse 1. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. It's time to cry out to the Lord. I hear, listen to me folks, I hear, I hear more and more people today crying out for revival. I hear more and more people encouraging us to pray for awakening. I hear more and more people crying out for the Lord to return soon. I hear all of that, but let me share with you something, folks. The crisis we are in today has not brought us to the point that we are at today. The need to cry out to the Lord, the need for revival, the need for awakening has been with us for generations. It's time now, though, we've it's gotten our attention. Perhaps the church had become lax in the book of Acts. Perhaps they had, had, had lost their joy or their enthusiasm. They were trying hard, and Herod saw it, and they were making advances moving forward. And all of a sudden, James is gone. Peter's in prison. Lord, we need... Lord, we need your help. And when we pray these kinds of prayers, there's some marks that we need to be sure that are present. One of those marks is that of earnestness. There was a real need that was lying heavy on the hearts of the church and it united them and concentrated them concerning their prayer meeting. The need was... For Peter's release. They couldn't do anything about James. But the need was for Peter's release. And that got the attention of the church in the upper room. Luke tells us that the church was praying fervently for him in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. It's the word which Peter uses in his first letter where he exhorts that we love one another deeply. The adverb is used there that is used there, is made up from the word that means to stretch. It's one of those pictorial words that has the idea of stretching every muscle and every sinew in order to be prepared for action. Interestingly, it's the word which is used of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Luke records for us, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, more fervently, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground for at prayer. This kind of prayer, this kind of crying out to God should involve the stretching of our souls toward God. Jeremiah in his prophecy in Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah's talking about stretching every fiber of our being, every sinew in our bodies. Stretching it before the Lord. That he will hear us. I've not had a lot of experience of picking fruit in my life. But when I have had, it conjures up wonderful memories of visiting my great-grandparents down in Hale County. They lived in the Moundville community. And my great-grandfather had apple trees on his, on his land and... We were down there at the right time. We would get to pick apples. And that was our great highlight for those of us who were great grandkids to go pick apples off great granddad's 
apple tree. And we'd start, when we would get out there, we'd pick the ones up off the, off the ground first because they were the easiest. They were there, but there was, there was trees, there, were, there was fruit left on the limbs of the tree that were ripe. It was ready for the picking. They just had not, had not released yet. And I, my, my great-granddad would hoist me and my cousins up in that tree and we would reach as far as we could and we would shake with all of our might. We would shake that tree and they'd get as many apples down as we possibly could. This is the kind of prayer that Luke is describing here in Acts. When the church gathered in the upper room, they're reaching with every fiber and sinew of their being and they're shaking the gates of heaven. Lord, hear our prayer. We need Peter to be released from prison. We can't stand to lose two of our leaders at, at one time. Lord, you took James from us, but we need, we need our brother Peter. We need his voice. We need him leading us. We need, we desperately need him for these days. Let me ask you, church. Have you shaken the gates of heaven in prayer for God to work and move and intervene? Have you stretched out with every, as far as you can? When we read this account in Acts chapter 12, it's apparent that there were several days between the incarceration of, of Peter and his deliverance, and it was during those days that the church was stretched out in prayer to Almighty God in fervent and earnest prayer. One of the things we know that we need when we pray is to be specific. And, and I, I look at this prayer and read about what they're, they're praying. There's a kind of prayer that, that we can pray that asks for nothing. And it's been said that there are three main hindrances to prayer one is lack of earnestness, one is unconfessed sin, and then thirdly is vagueness. So what exactly did, did they pray for Peter? Well, the passage doesn't tell us. Do you think they prayed that he might be released? I absolutely believe they prayed for those prison gates to be open. That they prayed that he might be given strength in, the, in, the, in his hour of trial? Absolutely they prayed those prayers. They had no means of knowing what it was that God intended for Peter. They'd seen what had happened to James, but Peter's in a holding pattern. He, they haven't heard what the intent or the plan of Herod was for, for Peter. And while we may not have been privileged to the cries of the people of this early church, we know this, that God answered their prayers by releasing him from prison in an extraordinary way. There were three things that were weighing against Peter when you look at this text. Herod Agrippa didn't like Peter. Unbelieving Jews couldn't care less what happened to Peter and Satan. Satan's warning that maybe this will be the blow that will silence the church. But there were three things weighing in Peter's favor. One was a ministering angel. Number two, God, who would have the final say. And number three, a praying 
church. And guess who won? The angel, the God who had the final say-so, and a praying church. Luke seems to relish telling this story when you, when you read it in the context of the, of the book of Acts. He expands on details that bring the plight of Peter to life. The cell itself was guarded by four squads of soldiers. Luke gets very specific. One squad for each of the four watches of the night. Peter was bound by two chains to a soldier on either side of him. And the prison cell entrance was guarded by sentries. Luke does not wish there to be any mistake about what occurred. This was not a case of a soldier who fell asleep on his watch. Peter was held in a maximum security facility. If he was to be rescued, something extraordinary had to occur. And Luke records it for us there in verses 7 through 17. Peter was sleeping. While his beheading was, was probably scheduled for dawn, it's worth noting, and I love this, this occurred to me when I wrote this sermon, it occurred to me that it's amazing that later on Peter would write, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Luke specifically tells us Peter was sleeping. How do you sleep when you know you've got four watches of guards that are with you round the clock and you've got two guys chained to you? How do you sleep? You sleep because you can sleep in the fact and the understanding that God is in control. Peter had done this on the eve of his potential execution. Listen, folks, we should rest in the Lord's providence no matter what may lay ahead for us. We rest in the assurance that our God is in control and he is going to do nothing less than what is best for us. Amen? He's going to do nothing less than what is best for his children. He is in control. And Peter woke. He awoke from what must have been a sound sleep a light shone in his cell, and he heard the angel say, get up quickly. And at that moment, the chains fell off his wrist. And the message of this verse is that it does not matter what our situation may be, however dark and foreboding it is, prison walls, wardens, and chains, they are nothing for God. And listen, folks, in these days, God is in control. He is going to do what's best, and nothing is too difficult for him. That's the message that rings forth from the prison cell of Peter. And what happens next is extraordinarily something else. I mean... There were three gates to be negotiated as well as the sentries to pass by. The, the sense of the scripture appears to be that the guards were sleeping and the doors were miraculously opened, allowing the angel and Peter to escape into the night. Once Peter was free from the prison itself and the angel having taken him the length of the street, the angel disappeared and Peter was, was now fully aware that he had escaped by divine intervention. And Peter stood in the street, now alone. He was aware that something equally miraculous 
had taken place. The Lord, he gives this testimony, the Lord, in verse 11, the Lord has rescued me from the hand of Herod. He goes to the upper room, knocks, poor old Rhoda comes to the door, tells them it's Peter. No, it's not Peter. It can't be Peter. Now, they've been earnestly, specifically praying for the release of Peter. Peter comes to the door. It's not Peter. Can't be. Hadn't answered, Rhoda, you're wrong. You're crazy. It's his angel. And finally, they open the door, and there's Peter. And they erupt in joyous celebration. Peter has been released, and Peter says, shh, shh, the guards will hear you. They're already coming the streets looking for me. And Peter continues his ministry. Peter tells him what had happened to him, and what had happened in Jerusalem. And when Herod and his men searched for Peter, they couldn't, he could not be found. And we look at this story with mixed emotions. Why did it cause James his life and why did Peter get spared? We don't know the answer to that. But it's a reminder that we are expendable even though we often tell ourselves that we aren't. And I want to close with this. What I'm most concerned about today is not just any fellowship or church, but I want to see the bodies of Christ. I want to see them built up to the point where they're going to help people and explode in, this, in these days as we move toward the end of this season. We pray sooner rather than later. We want to see churches that explode with more love and more compassion and more joy and more holiness and more zeal for God and more boldness and a greater witness and more power in ministry and more vision for missions. And I do not believe that I am the only one who feels this way. At least I hope that I'm not. This church came out of this season of fear this season of uncertainty, this season of questioning how will we go forward without our beloved James? What will happen to us if something happens to Peter? God miraculously intervenes. He, he, he spares Peter. Peter comes back to continue the work that he has done. And the church came out of this stronger and more powerful than ever before. The gospel went forth like a wildfire. As a result of this, listen to me, folks. Nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing. All right? No matter how difficult it may be, it's not going to be stopped. Our prayer should be for these days. Should be, Lord, help our church. Help other churches to be more loving and more compassionate, and more determined, and more excited about the gospel. Let us share the gospel with a greater boldness. Let us be more excited about missions and the spreading of the gospel around the world than we were before anything ever happened. May this season serve as an igniter 
not an extinguisher, but an igniter that we will keep going and nothing is going to stop the gospel. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Whether in person or online, maybe God has spoken to you by his Holy Spirit through the power of his word. If he has perhaps there's a response that you need to make, we would love to greet you here in the altar and love to hug you up and shake your hand and be able to talk to you personally about that decision. And if you are here in this room and there's something that God is dealing with you about, one of the staff ministers will certainly be glad to talk with you about your decision. If you are online and there is something that God is speaking to you about and you need to reach out to this church, please call them, email them, text them, and say, I, God's really spoken to me and I, wanna, I need to do something about it. This church will welcome that. And I hope that you'll do it. And for those of us who are the followers of Christ, the true church, let us pray together right now that God will give us his strength to keep going. Father, in the name of Jesus today, we pray for your power and your strength to be upon us. Father, we pray in these days of of oppression, in these days of difficulty, in these days of sadness and sickness and loss. Father, restore us to our confidence in you that you are in control and nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop your gospel. Father, renew this church, restore this church with fervency, with urgency, Father, as we, as we move forward. Thank you for all they have done, this church has done in the midst of this pandemic. But Father, when we are released and when we can go forth without nearly as many encumbrances, Father, we pray that they will go forth with even greater power and even greater strength and even greater urgency and greater fervency for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is in the name of Jesus that I pray. 